My name's Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 116 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks. So this is like the final recording of me and Liam recording Cinepunks when we're both in this grand keystone state of Pennsylvania. I guess that's true, right? Although I'm sure we could do like holiday episodes in person. But uh, yeah, as far yeah, as yeah, like, yeah, that'll be fine. As far as like, yeah, regular episodes. Yeah, I'm about to. I'm recording to y'all from the empty shell of my home, which is <laughs> uh, right now. It's I wish it was empty, actually, because that would mean we were better prepared to move. Uh, the, the barely furnished, but just furnished enough to be annoying shell of my home, uh, because we have just enough stuff left over that we're not sure if it'll fit. Oh man, that's a bummer. That's a lot. It's that's a lot e- to deal with. It's not easy. I'll put it that way. It's not easy. I can't imagine that it would be. Is the thing. So, no. you know. But you know, it's going to be cool, man. Chicago, you're getting our boy. Please be good to him. <laughs> I mean, we're definitely excited about it. It is very funny though because when I talk to people, they're like, "Oh man, Chicago, you could do this, or you could do that, or there's this other thing you can do," and I'm like, "Sure, sure, sure." But you are aware it's a pandemic and nothing is open. So, like, you know, I'm hoping we can get some Italian beef, but I don't even know if that's true. Yeah, you're doing a very non-pandemic thing during a pandemic, which is to move cross-country to the Midwest. <laughs> so I don't feel that that it's fair for you to be like, uh, bruh, but there's a thing called sick going around. So, you know, but it's like, yeah, dog, we all knew that, but you're the one who moved here. So I, I can't change that. I can't. I'm forced to do this. There's no options. I have to do this. That's not I, the point. The point is, it's not like, you know, I, I, the first few months are just going to be walking around our neighborhood. It's not going to be me being like, yo, let's go to, to Wrigley Field. You know, like for what? For why? For what reason? Yeah. I know. I mean, for probably the same amount of reason that you would go on a normal non-pandemic day, which is that you don't care about baseball, you would just go to look at a building, <laughs> which, you know, I am mad at that. I, I, like, I don't actually have a problem with sporting events in person. If I'm not paying the exorbitant amounts of money for some sporting events, I love going in person. I just Sure, but you're not out there about talking sports. about, like, ah, the Cubbies, my team. Like, you're, I'm, I'm quite sure you don't know the names of your favorite basketball player currently. I don't come on. I don't even like that sport. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm pretty sure there isn't any one sport where you're like, ah, yes, Pele. I love football. I'm sorry, soccer for you Americans. Like you're not out there doing that shit. So I will be. I, I will I be. I will be, be honest. I will be honest. I do. Okay. Love, I do love football. Do you really like like? Wait, I, when you say football, do you mean like uh, like? Like America, like no man, I love like the Eagles. Foot. I love football. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, you're you're referring to hand egg? I hate hand egg. I don't know all these words, and I know that I normally know some things about sports just because I've worked in a hospital for you know, <laughs> years. But like, I have no idea what those words mean. I'm just being a jerk about football because it's weird that you you hold it with your hands and it looks like an egg, but it's called football. Whereas. <laughs> soccer being called football makes sense it's a ball you kick it you're not supposed to touch it with your hands it all makes sense uh-huh. 
and socks go on your feet, which coincidentally is what you use to move the ball in soccer. <laughs> just saying. No, that doesn't work at all. That's the dumbest thing you've said ever. Uh, if that's the dumbest thing I've said ever, that means you're just not listening to me. Because oh, that might let be me fair. tell you, Captain, I tried to call myself Joey Juggalo this week, and uh, I'm into it. I don't even like ICP or any of that stuff, but I just think that Joey Juggalo has a nice ring to it, so... I get it, man. You're you're trying to be down with the Juggalos and the Juggalettes. I'm just saying, woot woot to my ninjas is all I'm saying to you. I don't even think that's right. I think it's whoop. I don't know. I will (laughs) tell you that one time I ended up in um, with a friend of the show, Mike McTernan. We ended up at um, in Boston to see Danzig and Sepultura at this rock festival thing that they do, like a rock and horror fest. It's, it's, it's coincidentally, it's where I met the vinegar syndrome dudes and, uh, Adam Caesar of all people. I, I happened upon his table at this convention, which was like a horror convention that had metal bands, but like the one day, so the one day was like slipknot or something, or it was like hate breed for sure. And then like a bunch of like, you know, for lack of a better term, Juggalo Hardcore, followed by the juggaloist of all hardcore, Danzig. And he was doing um, Danzig 2, I believe. And, you know, I had to go see Danzig. But the next day was actual ICP day. So it was just Twisted and, like, all of the bands from that camp. And mm. I didn't stay for the festival because, you know, it was a lot. But um, it was one of those things where they were everywhere in the hotel that we were at and stuff. And it was just like, wow, there's just... I thought that the Juggalos actually had a hockey team, given how many <laughs> hockey jerseys I saw. But no, it's just merchandise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was probably the closest I've actually ever come to seeing the Insane Clown Posse or Twisted or it's like offshoot, you know, killer clown business. But man. I did insane. see... I actually saw the Insane Clown Posse at the truck in the 90s. That's the greatest story I've ever heard. I I did. Uh, uh, I'll say friend of the show, though. I don't think he's ever listened to it. Scott Toon was down with the ICP from the beginning. He was he was he was a fan. Now, I think as the phenomena grew, I think he actually became less of a fan, which seems funny because you think like, well, it got cooler over time. But I, I think for him, he just thought it was funny when it started. And then when it became like a real cultural thing. He was like, ah, that's a little bit too much for me. But when they, when the first record came out, he just thought like, oh, it's funny. They dress like clowns. They say offensive things. Seems cool. And so he bought me a ticket to go see them. And, you know, they threw a lot of Fago. I guess that's cool. But, like, I could never get into the music. So I just was like, wow, that was quite a spectacle I just watched. And then, like, years later, it, everyone was like, you know, there was just this point where the whole culture suddenly was like, we all know about Juggalos now. And I was like, yeah. oh, it's gotten that big that like normal people know about it? And I had no idea the size. Like In my mind, they were still just clown rappers and not like entrepreneurs. But it turns out they're really yeah. successful entrepreneurs. Yeah, it turns out they, they, have a, they know a thing or two about marketing, I think. Yeah, I, mean, I think they do. You know. I think that's fair. And it's just funny because it's like, the, it really is like, because there was that documentary made about them called American Juggalo that yep. was shot in like HD and 4K and all that stuff. Yep. Like, unbelievable, you know? And it's it's just funny how they're like the weird salient voice of like, uh, I don't know, equitable reasoning going on in today's day and age, you know? But I mean, I think, are. I think there's plenty of evidence that uh, early on things were a bit problematic, but... 
Um, it's interesting now there are like all these groups within this larger community of what feels to me the worst kind of folks. There's still all these groups like pushing for, uh, you know, recognition of uh, women more and LGBTQ stuff and trying to push out some of the misogyny. And it's just kind of crazy that like there's more at least the beginnings of like equitable community in people who like are drawn to music where people dress like clowns and talk about chopping folks with machetes. It's not, you know, you see what I'm saying? Like it's, yeah. it's the thing is so weird that you have to be like, well, wh- why is it taking the rest of us so long to try to get our act together? ICP there, all they do is shoot each other with Fago and they're still trying. They're like ahead of us in some way, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, like, I don't know. It's the music for me. I can't get down with the Oh, music. it's terrible. It's, just, it's unlistenable. It's- a couple years ago, they played at, like, Voltage Lounge or some shit like that. And um, Wolves Attack, friend of the show, Wolves Attack, opened the show. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there was, like, this whole, like, maybe we should all go and support, like, Wolves Attack and, like, hang out with the homies and stuff. And, uh, no, nah, I, you know, <laughs> I couldn't do it, man. I couldn't do it. Well, but, hey, um, hey, friend of the show, Vinny Paz, has played the uh, the the Gathering before. And that's that just, amazing. I know. He he seemed to enjoy it. I don't know. It seems crazy to me. <laughs> I definitely saw an Onion article that was like, Gathering of the Juggalos, now just 50% undercover vice reporters, which I think is really, really <laughs> funny. I mean, it still makes me laugh when I yeah. think about that actual headline, but you know. Hey, uh, hey Josh, fun. here we are. No! For, here we are. It's episode 116. What are we talking about on this episode? We're Speaking talking of about, weird things. We're talking about movies. I know. It's weird. It's what we do, though, Liam. I don't know no, if you pay attention. No, but what movies are we talking <laughs> What weird <laughs> movies are we talking about, you jerk? We are talking about a movie that came out in 1995. Yep. Directed by Paul Verhoeven. Yep. Called Showgirls. Showgirls. And its subsequent documentary, You Don't Know Me, that came out this year. Every time I say the name of this documentary, I want to say Nomi in a way that suggests that it's her name and not saying Nomi, but then that defeats the whole purpose of the name of the documentary. But my brain always wants to say it like, well, just say it a little bit different so it's clear that you mean something different. But then that... (laughs) It's that's not how a pun works. A See, pun only works if it sounds the same. But my brain <laughs> wants to be like, no, don't say it that way. <laughs> when I saw it, it's it's spelled the same way Klaus Nomi spells his name, and I was like, yo, I fucking love Klaus Nomi. And uh, yeah, this documentary had nothing to do with Klaus Nomi. Not that's, only did it have nothing to do with is, Klaus Nomi, that is, why would you think it had anything to do with Klaus Nomi? Because it's silly. it's spelled the way his name. And there's no, there's not even a song by Klaus Nomi on the soundtrack, which, I mean, granted, there's not one in the actual movie Showgirls either, but I'm saying it would have been nice. Everything you're saying right now is so ridiculous that I don't even know how to take it. Yeah. You know what the first ridiculous thing I said? It's the fact that we're covering Showgirls, <laughs> which I didn't see in 1995. I didn't see it until this year when we decided that this was what we were going to watch. Save it. We're going to get into that. We're going to start. Uh, yeah. No, just we'll, so y'all we'll, know, we're going to start off talking just about Showgirls because, uh, as Josh has revealed, and I know, a bunch of you probably just spit out your drinks because you were definitely drinking during that part. You just spit out your drinks because you could not believe Josh had never seen Showgirls until now. You're probably horrified. But stay with us. We're going to talk about Showgirls. And then we'll transition to talk about the documentary because I think there's an interesting conversation 
obviously to be had about showgirls because it's such a crazy movie but there's also a conversation about this kind of documentary and uh, i think this documentary could be compared to say uh um what's the shining room 237 oh yeah 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 Yeah, documentary about the conspiracies and And there's a few other ones too but you know maybe even it kind of reminded me at times of uh la plays itself or, uh, mm. you know, th- this sort of film analysis documentary that I think is an interesting genre. But before we do any of that, we want Wait, to... Wait, but s- also, if your spit take was because I so graciously spoiled the fact that there are no Klaus Novi songs in either <laughs> 1995's Showgirls or the documentary of 2020, You Don't Know Me, you're welcome. Hey, first off, first off, again. stop. Stop. See, stop. that's how he sounds. No, yeah. It's, it's so no, good. Stop. It's so good. First off, we want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon. We very much uh, appreciate you. We've actually gotten some new supporters re- recently, including past guests, uh, Justin Nordell. So uh, thank you. Thank you so much to everyone who supports us on Patreon. We very much appreciate that. We also want to quickly thank our sponsor, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. They're basically the premier screen printer of the Lehigh Valley. You know, they they do amazing work. I've had stuff printed there. I actually have all my stuff printed there. (laughs) Josh has had stuff printed there for his bands. We just really appreciate Chris, and we appreciate the work they're doing, and we really appreciate how seriously they've taken as a business this pandemic and how they've been trying to both do work but also protect their employees. And we think that that is uh, a great model to be setting for everyone to follow. So. I also think uh, Chris is an amazing dude, and I know we we make we make jokes and all that stuff, but um, mm. it's funny. Like you know, Liam, I'm not exactly like a social media dude. Like I, I do it, but I'm like begrudging at it and all that stuff. And there have been a few people that I've like actually considered myself to become friends with via social media, and I think Chris Reject is one of those people that I'm friends with now because of social media. Because like you know, he lives in the Valley, I live in the in Philly, and I never see him or anything like that, but. I do appreciate the conversations that I get into with him, and I do appreciate that he's a he's a good person, and uh, he's the kind of person I, I want to be friends with. So that said, support LVAC with Chris and uh, tell him Josh and Liam sent you because we love him. Yeah, please drop our please drop the Cinepunks name if you if you hit them up, and and you really should because whatever you're doing, you need a T-shirt or a sweatshirt or sweatpants or a face mask they're doing a deal on face masks right now uh all kinds of stuff to support it so uh head over to x lvacx.com and uh put your order in yeah there you go my brother actually got shirts made and he called it lvac i was like the fuck did you just say to me I like that because it makes me think it's like a heating and cooling company or something yeah yeah he was like yeah yeah we went to lvac your boys i was like don't ever say those words to me in that order again, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking stupid. But uh, anyway, I guess so. Before we talk about the movies, we got to um, we got to do something. There's something we talk about right now. It's like a segment that we have. You know, Liam. Yeah. This charade has gone on for too long. We're just gonna do it. I'm just gonna say it. We're going to talk about whacking on track, y'all. Whacking on track! <laughs> we should actually engage the visual component of Skype just for the sake of us syncing that up again. Just say it, man. Just say it. Turn the cameras on. Do the whacking on track. I will, then, you know, I, will be will, I will be willing to do that with you when you switch to the laptop that I gifted you as a okay. gift that so friends So we're going to start at the other. top of on track for me is that Liam gave me a laptop. Now, here's the thing, people. 
I am bad at computer. You understand? I am bad at computer. And I don't know if it's... And this has been a lifelong thing. You know what I mean? Like, I've never been good at computers. I've just been shitty at them. And, like, I know how to use the computers at work because I'm learned in the whole epic medical chart charting and all that stuff. Like, I'm good with all that stuff. Actual, like, hey, Joey, here's your computer. I'm like, the fuck does this thing do? Is this... What is this? And then Liam gives me a computer because, you know, Liam is gracious like that case y'alls was wondering and um remember when you gave it to me Liam? you're like yeah it's gonna have all this stuff on it and i was like no dog you just need one button that says on and then the other button I that mean, says record i mean i still I still, I still i still would recommend you take it to a friend who's a nerd and have them just specify like because right now it, it still has like my password on it and stuff so like Take it to a nerdy dude and have him reset the whole thing for you and make it for you, you know? The only things I left on there are stuff I think you need, but if you're, like, still a little, like, well, I don't know, like, any any nerdy friend can help you set this thing up to your specifications. I actually have the entire arm of the, uh, the tech department at my job willing and ready to help me because, you know, um, I help them and they pay me sometimes to help him with like some of the there's like stuff that i got anyway that's not important right now uh but yeah yeah they, i get they, it you're an enforcer for your tech bros at your office yeah you know my tech they bros, sent they you to got, like break some legs or something they got glasses with the tape in the middle and they need to talk to girls and some of us know how to do that you know what i'm saying it's all about resource now i know but you're anyway. lying <laughs> that's 100 a lie but um yeah so on track i got a new computer uh or at least it's new to me and it's from liam but the other side of that, the whack side of that, is that I got it as Liam's going away present because Liam's moving to Chicago that has beautiful carbs all over the place there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's that's whacking on track right there. But, again, it, you know, I mean, there are other things. There are other things, Liam. There's always sure, other things. Sure, On track, um, Strike Anywhere put out their new record right. last Friday. It was called Nightmares of the West. Or what is it called? Um it's it's I don't know if you know listener, but I am a huge Strike Anywhere fan. Like those guys have been one of my favorite bands for a really really long time at this point. And um, Nightmares of the West is the name of the new EP, and uh, it just came out. And friend of the show Brian McTurnan, who sang for Battery and who was in um, a new band called Be Well, he did all the recording and engineering for it and everything, and it just sounds like... Uh, you ever just hear something where you're like, oh, yeah, that's why I got into this dumb shit thing, mm, youth culture mm-hmm. thing from the beginning? Mm-hmm. That's what this record is for me. It definitely... Um, I mean, like, I haven't stopped listening. Uh, if anything, Liam, and you'll be happy to hear this, I've been listening to more hardcore just because that's what you tell me to listen to, so I listen to that. And, um, you know, I've been listening to a lot of hardcore and, like, more aggressive music lately. And... Um, I definitely feel really happy with this record. It, it definitely speaks to me in a way that a lot of records don't at the particular moment. But uh, also another record that came out this Friday was co- by a band called Entry. And the record is called oh, Detriment. Oh, yeah, my girl Sarah. It is good as fuck. Have you listened to this thing yet? I have. I already knew that band was good from their demos. And I just paid attention to them because Sarah G... I don't know Sarah's actual last name. I've known her as Sarah G for over a decade. But uh, Sarah G, who was in that band Nap Takers, is the singer. 
And uh, she, uh, for people who might think that name sounds familiar, she's from, I think, the Wilkes-Barre area originally or somewhere around there. Um, she lived in the Philly area for a while. She lived in Pittsburgh for a while. Definitely was part of that, like, Code Orange crew for a while. And then she actually moved out to L.A. to, to uh, date the guitar player in the band who's a dude from uh, Touche Amore. Oh, wow. Yeah. I heard of them too. Look at that. Yeah, so that's and I think the other people in the band have been in other notable bands as well, but I don't know. I just know Sarah cuz she's my friend and I know that uh I think what is her man friend's name? I don't know. I don't remember. It begins with a C. Anyways, it's one of the guitar players from Touche Amore's in the band and then I don't I don't know the other folks like what bands they're in, but from what I understand, I think it it kind of is almost not a super group, but everyone in the band is experienced. Like they've all been in other things. It's not like a first project. Hmm. But it's heavy. It's heavy. Yeah, it's super, super good. And um, I really, really like that a lot. And also another thing that came out on Friday that I'm really into is there was. So do you know who Connie Converse is? No idea. She was like this weirdo folk singer from she was active in like the 50s. And um, she she wrote a bunch of songs, but didn't record them like professionally. She recorded them at home using like some type of like home recording setup and um she she had all these like health issues and like mental health issues but she was just like some lady with a guitar like recording these songs that were like really kind of cute and all this stuff and then in 1974 uh she got into a car and drove off and then no one knew what happened to her ever again and that was it like she's presumed dead and all this other stuff but uh in 2004 um somebody found a bunch of her old home recordings of her songs and they then released it. And so it's like these weird 50 year old songs about like just kind of storytelling folk songs, you know? And this past weekend, another lost EP of hers came out called sad lady. and It's majestic. It's so fucking good. And uh, so I've been listening to that and strike anywhere and uh, the entry record and, yeah, that's what I've been doing. That's good. Good good listening weekend, I gotta say. I've been into it. Have you it's watched been... have you watched anything? Uh I did watch a couple things. I just watched Nightmare on Elm Street four, the Dream Master today. You've never seen that before? I've seen it, I think, but like I couldn't remember ever having seen it before. Sure. And man, it's really fucking good. I, I think it's underrated. I still rate two and three above it, but yeah. I could maybe put it above above two. I'm not sure. I, it's so good. Yeah. I forgot how good it was. And it's just like, Well, you wow. know why I revisited it was a friend of the show. I don't even know if he listens or not, but Brian Christopher, who was on our 100th mm-hmm. episode. Right. I know he listens to Hard Business. I think he listens to Cinebunks. But uh, he very much, we were talking about Nightmare on Elm Street, and he was like, you, you, you without it, without even knowing my opinion on it, was like, you definitely underrate part four. So you should give it another wow. chance. And so yeah. I did. And I think it's really good. It's so good. I didn't even... I mean, it's funny because it has a Dramarama song on there and it has like a bunch of other tunes in there. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's pretty cool. But it's got a lot of like just fun things in it that were fun before it became trope. You know what I mean? Like right. just the whole like emerging of the Freddy character and all that other stuff. And I, I really enjoyed it. So I just watched that. I rewatched The Big Lebowski again. And um, yeah, I still fucking love that movie. Of course, I don't, of course. I don't give yeah. a shit. That movie rules so fucking hard, and um, it's just as funny. I was just watching it the other day, and it's like, man, that shit is great. And um, yeah, 
that's that's what I got. Well, that means it's my turn. Yay! Uh, so I'll go with the same whack, even though I think it'll be on track eventually. Right now, moving is a is a true uh, burden, and I hate it, and I hate packing up all my stuff. I wish I wasn't such a materialist, like you know, um, you know, four boxes of records, probably fifty boxes of books, like just out of control you know and so um part of me wishes i had the strength to just throw it all away but i don't so instead i'm paying to move it all to another state so that's a real (laughs) real frustrating thing to know that's how weak i am and i'm a weak person who can't give up his things so there you go we love Um, you anyway yeah on track though i also have listened to and watched a number of things uh i'll start with things i've watched i finally caught the beastie boys documentary oh how was it so for those of you who don't know this is actually it's not that different than the recent release of hamilton in that it is a filmed stage performance uh mike d and ad rock have a stage show where they talk about the history of the beastie boys and it is directed by spike jones and then all this is is the filmed performance of that stage show Um, which is sort of like a more fun, more visual version of the book, basically. Um, Less detail. The book gets into a lot more nitty-gritty from what I understand, but I haven't read it, but that's that's what it seems like. But it's more like a a dramatic sort of retelling of their life. And in that, I really liked it. I think um, I kind of missed... I mean, wait, where are you in terms of like fandom with the Beastie Boys, though? I'm, I'm getting there, Josh. Uh, um, I kind of I kind of miss those sorts of movies, you know. It, I I kind of like that sort of thing, and um, I like them as personalities. Uh, it's interesting when I was watching it, I, I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm kind of a Beastie Boys fan, so I think I'll like it. Not realizing like how much more time I've spent with Paul's Boutique than I have with any other Beastie record. Um, it's so perfect. That's the perfect record. Yeah, it's a I, perfect I, Beastie Boys record. Given, I mean, you know. Like politics stuff, notwithstanding, like I think it's got my favorite songs by them on it. I agree. I think that the movie makes me want to spend more time with Check Your Head and Ill Communication, which they, oh. which they, which they kind of present as one record. Like for, yeah, for them emotionally, those were two sides of the same coin. And then, yeah. and then, honestly, Ad Rock was like, "Well, my favorite is Hello Nasty" because he felt like it was their most experimental record, which I think is crazy, knowing all the shit they did on. Paul's Boutique, that think of Hello Nasty as their most experimental record, but he just felt like they took the most chances on it. And I, I, I think that's an interesting perspective. I kind of want to listen to it more because Hello Nasty, for me, I really only spent time with the singles. I never really yeah. dove into the record. And it was partly because I, I don't think I've ever gotten over the, 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 the chasm to me between the first record, which is what... Oh, I always forget what it's called. Ryman and Stealing or... Well, um, no, the first full length is not called Ryman. That's a single. The uh, first full length is called... Um, Il- uh, license, license to Ill. License to Ill, yes. The chasm between License to Ill and Paul's Boutique has always fascinated me. Because while the songs on License to Ill are fun in a nostalgia sense, they're not good. Like, the original Beastie Boys were not good. Uh, uh, I'm going to disagree. I think that they were fun. And that no. was hard to do. No. Like, dude, the Alibaba and the Forty Thieves part still it's, kills me. It's fine. Me. It's totally fine, but I don't think it's good. 
I think it has a certain nostalgia and a certain sense of fun, but it's not quality. And I think the distance between that record and Paul's Boutique is like an uncrossable ocean. Yeah, but the distance between hip-hop when License to Ill came out and when Paul's Boutique came out was also huge. Yeah, I guess. But I think that... Um, anyways, doesn't matter. We could... This could be a Beastie Boys podcast if we wanted. Right, to say, you're but, you're not wrong, but you're it's not. not. But it's not going to be because because uh, we're I talking want, about showgirls. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to be clear that you don't have to be a huge Beastie Boys fan to appreciate the movie because it, the way it tells their story and it really focuses on a lot of their beginnings and about the experience of becoming so famous so quickly and about how they had to like tear all that down and kind of rediscover themselves and it's really interesting i thought it was really interesting and as Mm. someone who again i you know i don't know their music backwards and forwards it still was a very engaging watch and i've always had a lot of respect for uh adam yauk and the time they spent kind of memorializing him and really expressing their love and sadness at his passing was like very moving it, i was really surprised at the emotional impact of the movie on mm. me as someone who uh, you know like i said i like paul's boutique i listen to the other records but i've never been like in their lives so i imagine for people who are huge bc board fans at least i hope it really mattered to them and and there were some important moments i think you know them apologizing for how they treated um what's her name from luscious jackson you know that yeah, she yeah. was an original member and the the boys club image that they were developing just didn't have room for her. And so they basically just cut her out, you know, and, and, and how much they regret that and really kind of regretted where they were at that time and what that, you know, how they were honestly manipulated by Russell Simmons. (laughs) Uh, Oh yeah. It's, it's tough, man. I mean, you know, there's, and, and when they went to do Paul's boutique, there was a real feeling from record labels of like, well, you're not a real group, right? Like you, you're just, you know, there was a feeling that they were just uh, random white kids that Russell Simmons found and that Russell and uh, what's his name? Rick Rubin. Yeah, that Russell and Rick Rubin made the Beastie Boys and that they were just any any random white kids could have been those kids, you know. And so um, and to them, they're like, that's kind of true in how they were treated. But they are actual musicians who wrote actual music. And so the fight to get Paul's Boutique out was like, we can make our own record and it can be good. And that was like. Uh, a, a real act to convince people. Also, didn't realize Paul's Boutique was a was a commercial failure. No one bought that record. <laughs> I had no idea. Really? Oh yeah. Oh man, I adore that record so much. It's Bro, like cornerstone. When, it, when stuff. it came out, no one cared. They could barely tour on it. They had to sell their house. They had to move to like shitty places because they had no money left. I mean, part of them not having money left is that they were spending millions of dollars renting a home to make the record. <laughs> Wow, but but you know it did Man, not. Is that what real musicians do? Because that sounds awesome. <laughs> well, you know when they made "Check Your Head" and uh, "Ill Communication," they had this like random place in the desert that they had rented out. And anyways, watch the movie. I'm not going to retell the whole movie, y'all. It's it's right, very right. interesting. That'd be ridiculous. And you don't have to be a huge BC Boys fan to appreciate it. And uh, I got I got kind of emotional towards the end. Um, Nice. I also watched uh, a horror movie called The Beach House. It just came out. It's one of these oh, just released yeah. drawings on Shutter. Uh, it's super. I good. saw it at uh, Chattanooga. Oh this. yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you think of it? I enjoyed it. I mean, it was fine. Is people see tentacles or something wet and they're like, ah, just like Lovecraft. 
And it's like, yeah, I get it, but see, I, mean, I will, uh, I will disagree. I think it was very love. I think it was more Lovecraft than that recent Lovecraft movie. I didn't see the Lovecraft movie. Oh, it's it's pretty good. I mean, Nick Cage is always fun, but I think this movie was. I loved how gooey it was, and and yeah. and the whole idea of like transformation and and the the it's so not precious about its characters. I think all that is really great. So I liked it a lot. Yeah. I think there are parts. I enjoyed that, it. I thought it was good. There are parts I thought that pacing wise could have worked out a little bit better. Sure, sure, sure. But uh, overall, I thought it was uh, it was a fun watch. Well, I felt like some of it was probably a limitation of budget. Like they got to a certain mm. point, and it's hard to know like where to go with it because you can't. There's only so much you can do. You know what I mean with with mm-hmm. that sort of budget. Yeah. But I still really enjoyed it. Uh, and then I also watched, and I wouldn't say enjoyed it, but I appreciated uh, that movie. Um, uh, Welcome to Chechnya. Have you seen this? Oh no, I have not. How was it? Oh man, it's a it's a tough watch, y'all. It's real emotional. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's about the basically uh, what feels like an attempted genocide of LGBTQ folks in Chechnya right now, and the efforts of LGBTQ folks in Russia to ferry these people out of Chechnya through Russia and out into the rest of the world. And man, it is rough. It is a rough time. So if you're someone who hmm. prefers your documentaries to be uplifting and not to be emotionally taxing, I cannot recommend <laughs> this movie. It is definitely emotionally taxing. I was put through the ringer watching this thing. So, I mean, wow, that's you know, brutal. but that's just the reality. So I think for some people, they're willing to go through that because they want to know what's happening. They want to know the reality that people are facing. And that's what this mm. is. So um, I definitely recommended if if you feel comfortable with that but huge content warning if you don't want to see uh the results of abuse if you don't want to see uh people who are in emotional distress if you don't want to see people who are really like considering strongly considering suicide um this is not the movie for you but i it got me it got under my skin um Hmm. As far as music, I wanted to mention there's a new Angel Dust EP that I very much... Oh, yeah, yeah. Andrew was telling me about it. How was it? I really like it. I think it's really good. It's very short, um, and it's a little Mm. more acoustic than their stuff in the past has been. So So it's like that last record, that weird... I would say it's more acoustic than the last record, actually. Oh, wow. No shit. Yeah. I dig it. I dug it. Um, There's a new uh, Joey Badass single that I thought was pretty good uh, Mm. and I enjoyed. Uh, and there's a new um, Open Mike Eagle single that I very much enjoyed as well. Um, that's about it for me with new music. I'm sure there's other stuff that I'm forgetting, but that's the stuff that like kind of jumps out to me of like, yo, I was listening to that. I thought it was pretty good. Um, On the topic of uh, Beach House, there was another movie that Shudder released um, that also was part of that Chattanooga Film Festival, and it's a movie called Scare Package. It's like a vignette movie. Have you right. watched that yet? I haven't watched it yet. I enjoyed that one too. I thought that one was fine. Oh, I'll have to check it out. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, guys, keep an eye on Shudder. Uh, I also want to lift up uh, a friend <laughs> of the show, Al White. He uh, His movie Starfish has just come out on home video on Blu ray. Package, nice. package looks really good. Uh, I haven't gotten it yet. I'm going to order a copy. I'm sure he would probably send us one, but I just want to order it. I want to have, I want to, I want to help support it. So I encourage you to do it as well. Uh, even if you haven't seen it yet, I think it's worth purchasing. Um, and other than that, I don't think I've really had a chance to catch any other movies. Uh, although I have been watching 
a lot of uh, that show, Extraordinary Homes on Netflix. Nice. How is it? Is it good? Is it extraordinary? <laughs> yeah. It's like really annoying because every extraordinary home mostly is for rich people. So it's just a, like, mm. it's sort of like the artistic version of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Only nice, in that nice. it's like an architect and he's like gushing over the architecture, you know? But you know, if the architecture is that good, it has to be rich people, right? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But it's just helpful for me because I needed something to have on that I didn't have to think about that was just like visually interesting, but I could do other things while it was on. and You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, something that wasn't narrative, that it could just be on and I would be amused, but I wouldn't feel like I needed to engage. So, Plus, right. the, the hosts are very charming. They're very, very charming. It's just, <laughs> they're, you know me, there's some part of me, every house I go... Look at these rich fucks. <laughs> it's really beautiful. Your home is really beautiful and magical, you monsters. It's, it's, Amazing. I, I actually cried a little bit on this episode, but I hate you. <laughs> Me and Melani have been watching RuPaul's Drag Race All Stars because we finished oh, all the regular. Sure. We finished all the regular seasons. Like we we just streamed every single season up to season 12 or whatever which just finished so we just got to season three of rupaul's all-stars where um one of the main queens gone right now is trixie mattel who uh if you remember from last episode with our friend justin we talked about her playing the philadelphia folk festival and stuff and um it's just it's interesting seeing i i I don't know why we never watched the all-star thing but yeah it's fun i'm into it I appreciate that. having a good time, you know. Yeah, you totally. Know, it's it's cool seeing Shangela in her uh, all star competition because she's part of that we're here trio with uh, mm-hmm. Bob the Drag mm-hmm. Queen and Eureka O'Hara. So seeing her, I've only experienced like watching Shangela during that stuff. So seeing her in the competition with RuPaul and all that stuff, uh, it's definitely a different perspective, and um, it's interesting. It's just you know, drag queens, man. Gotta love it. Love that shit. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come on back, and we're going to talk first about Showgirls, and then about the critical response to Showgirls, that is, you don't know me. Yes. We'll be right back. Come back 
we are back. Welcome back to Set Up Hugs, episode 116, where we will be talking about yeah. Showgirls and the documentary about Showgirls, Showgirls, You Don't Know Me. So, Liam, you saw this when it came out? Uh, I did not, actually. I, like many people, simply wrote it off as something I probably didn't want to watch. And it was only years later when people were hailing it. Um, I've, I've seen people talking about this thing online for a long time. And, and we'll talk about this a little bit when, the, when we talk about the documentary. But uh, I think one of the things the documentary gets right is that the people who talk about Showgirls don't all talk about it for the same reasons. So mm. pretty quickly it was clear that there are people who were watching it the way that someone watches The Room. And there are people who were watching it like very much thinking it's amazing and there are people who are watching it because they just couldn't believe it existed at all you know so mm. uh i think you know I, I was a little bit aware of that even before this documentary came out um but josh i want to know i want to start with you because i feel like you are and, and not that no one is in this position but you are in this unique position of having just watched this thing for the first time years removed uh and i i therefore not clouded by something like nostalgia at all uh and so i'm really curious like how did it hit you what what about it worked for you what about it was like totally not okay like talk talk about your experience with showgirls okay so let's let's go back to the year of its release 1995 right uh josh alvarez at that time had just graduated high school and was entering his first year of college at kane university which was in kane college in elizabeth new jersey otherwise known as e-town people call it that and i remember the movie coming out and like a bunch of people talking about it and just being like oh my god it's jesse spano from saved by the bell being a stripper and all this other stuff and uh i remember at the time just being like well I mean, I specifically listen to hardcore made in the tri-state area, and I specifically watch movies of the horror and, um, you know, adventure uh, genre. So I don't care about anything that falls outside of those things. Now, understand, listener, I've matured and broadened my horizons since then, and I watch anything and listen to anything now. But at the time, I was still trying to find my way. So, like, this came out when I was, like, not trying to... I don't know, watch what like the frat dudes were watching and all that stuff, or even listen to what they were listening to. And, you know, that's where I was. So I never saw it. And then like the subsequent fallout over it, like people just talking about how terrible it is and how it costed all this money to make this like dud. Okay. So I was like, sure, I guess it's just another movie that I don't want to watch and kept moving. Fast forward to my 42nd year of existence. And here we are in 2020. And the suggestion comes that we watch the documentary, You Don't Know Me. But I figure I have to watch the movie. So my wife and I decide we're going to watch Showgirls. Now, the movie starts. And off the bat, from frame one, I'm just like, man, this movie is beautiful. It's actually quite lovely looking. But then when you're introduced to Nomi Malone... The main the the main character played by uh, Jesse Spano alum uh, Elizabeth Berkeley, you're like wow, what an unlikable character. And then right. as the movie goes on, there is less and less to endear me to this character, 
and more and more confusion as to why literally everybody in this movie takes her shit sure. and eats it with a smile. Right. There is no redemptive characters in this movie at all. So this movie hits me on multiple levels. Like, number one, for as having so much nudity in it and so much Las Vegas uh, sh- like show like um, expressionism to it. This is possibly the least sexy movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Agree. Um, there's just like an aspect to it that's just like, I mean, it's mildly confusing, honestly, because it's like, how did that even happen? And um, yeah, I just that as far as the storyline goes, it was it was fine. Me and Melanie were watching it and just like kind of like in awe that it got made. And I'm sure. definitely of that camp. Um, it's it's very angular in parts. It's very um, it's it's just very difficult. But the parts of like the actual dance productions and stuff, they hearken to this like amazing vocabulary of Rodgers and Hammerstein musical that longtime listeners of the fan of the show know I'm a huge fan of. So these aspects of these expertly shot beautiful dance sequences, I thought were wonderful to behold. And I thought that they were truly amazingly choreographed and just really interesting to watch. And just the production was amazing. And then, like, the talking happens and just, like, I just don't, like, people, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a lot to take in (laughs) as one movie. And um, I was left feeling unsettled. It didn't make me feel like I heard an entire story. Okay. It just felt like a bunch of stories about a profession. And some are glamorous, some are not, and most of them don't make sense. And there's just like a lot of stuff that I'm like, you ever just see things and you're just like, wait, that must mean something to somebody somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, that's right. like a Easter egg of some sort that I'm just not culturally aware enough to know. Like the whole fingernail thing. And the whole, uh, there's like so many things that they just go back to in this movie that are just like the whole vegetables and brown rice thing. It's just, I just don't get it. I was like, this, is that code? Is that mean something? And um, yeah, man, this movie just to me as a first time watch seemed like a burrito of inside jokes that I just don't get. Hmm. That's what it felt like. All rolled up in a tortilla. Now, talk a little bit about your relationship to Paul Verhoeven. As far as Paul Verhoeven movies go, I liked RoboCop, and I liked, um, you know, I, I, as far as like looking back on his, uh, on his filmography, I can't say I dislike him, and I get it. He's, he, I definitely can dig on the whole satirist aspect of his filmmaking and his whole like ultra realism to show, you know, these kinds of like societal faults and everything like that. Um, I think he's got a great eye. I think that. Uh, his cinematography is always like amazing you know i think that these movies look great like robocop for what it's worth looks great you know what i mean but um yeah i don't know enough about him to say where this falls in terms of like you know because like what do i know starship troopers robocop you know what i mean like and those movies are fine i enjoy them but um and he also did uh basic instinct which that's another movie that i kind of i don't think i've ever seen in its entirety mm. so yeah, so I don't know. It's so I guess as far as Paul Verhoeven's body of work goes, I'm more of a neophyte. Like I don't really know anything about it. 
Like I'm not I don't I, I wasn't like versed in his films. I liked uh I liked what was the other? Um Total Recall. That was fun. Sure. I enjoyed that. Sure. Yeah. But, but that was like part <clears throat> of my Schwarzenegger sci fi thing that I just I was liked. gonna say, I'm assuming you haven't seen any of his like European films. No, definitely not. Like all the stuff that was uh, mentioned in the documentary, I'd never mm-hmm. heard of before. So, have you seen those things? I've only seen one. Uh, I, I, my familiarity with Paul Verhoeven is mostly people writing about him. I, I there's a couple of people I like their writing who are pretty obsessed. Um, and I, I think even friend of the show Sam Deegan has written about him. Um, so, I'm somewhat familiar with him in that way of like I've read secondary sources, uh, and I've seen most of his american movies um but as far as his european movies i think i've only seen one um so i i you know i want to get this experience made me curious about him but i i don't want to get too much into verhoven because i think we'll have that to talk about when we talk about the documentary what i you know my experience with showgirls was uh, when it came out it was 95 uh Wow, 95. In my brain, it was even later than that, but it's not. That's so crazy. Um, in 90, like, Let's be clear about a few things for those of you who are a little uh, uh, unaware of my biography. 95 was like when I started going to church. Uh, I was only 16 uh, in 95, and so if I was going to go see something like Showgirls, I was going to have to have an adult take me, so that wasn't <laughs> going to happen. Uh, we didn't have, we had just gotten cable, we didn't have pay cable, so that wasn't a thing. Um, I believe for some crazy reason, there was an edited version of Showgirls that played on basic cable later in the 90s, but for what point, like to what end? Like for you know what I mean? Like so I was I, I just never really watched it and I only watched it uh probably about a decade ago was the first time I watched it, out of the most morbid of curiosities. Um knowing that friends of mine who enjoy pure trash, pure trash cinema, were like, This is a masterpiece and you must learn to respect it and I'm like I don't know that I have to learn anything of the sort. So uh, so I, I gave it a chance, and my first response the first time I watched it was like, okay, I get how over the top it is, but it's not very good, right? It's not very entertaining. It's it's kind of crazy. It's It certainly has aspects that I would compare to The Room, um, but uh, isn't this Verhoeven? Like, wh- wh- what's going on here? And it, I think it was only the third time I watched it, which I, I've only watched it three times. Um, the third time I watched it was probably about five years ago. Um, no, more recently than that. Uh, was basically like, oh, okay, I'm getting a certain tenor of... I don't want to go so far as to say... So this is part of the problem with Verhoeven, right? Is that he's found this weird balance of... Um, satirizing things but also being sincere so like i think robocop is a great example of a film that works entirely as a certain kind of story but is clearly made by someone who doesn't respect the things he's representing you know Mm -hmm. so like if someone watches robocop and it's like yeah it's a movie about cops are good or that violence is okay or that you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. i think like it's that's clearly not what it is but on the other hand it's not what we're used to with satire in that it's totally winking at the camera and in fact i think what's going on with showgirls is an attempt to actually make 
maybe not a fully serious, but a somewhat serious point about the morale, morality in late capitalism. And he just can't help but make a movie that feels totally over the top. And, you know, I think he's done a lot of work. Uh, and, well, this is really the documentary, so I don't want to get too much into it. But my interpretation of it is that there is more about it that is unintentionally laughable, you know, um, than I think he wants. But that doesn't change the fact that I think it's very well done. Um, unfortunately, I also have a really strong inclination that parts of it are are really bad. So, for example, yeah. I would actually disagree with you. I think there is a character who I think is uh, a redemptive character, and that's the character of Molly. She, in fact, I would say, is the only good person in the whole film, which is... See, but it's wh- just funny because of the race issue behind it. Like, the fact that there are only well, that doesn't change people- the fact That doesn't change the fact that she's good. She is the good person. Uh, there is no one in the whole movie who is good except for Molly, which is why okay. her... Which is why her being the one who gets raped is the worst thing to me. Like, and and you know, I am, uh, I'm more sensitive than many people, but I'm not as sensitive as others when it comes to the issue of rape in a narrative. I, I don't think just because a, a film has sexual violence in it that film is irredeemable but in this particular case it is to me entirely unjustified within the context of the movie and in a larger political sense part of that being because molly is the one of only two black characters you know (laughs) and and that we're in this very white world um and molly's only there as the like supportive friend it's so it's already a stereotype not the vegas that i know but that's right. the other thing, right? Like when Molly's character is introduced, that whole dinner scene, dude, what the fuck was that shit? If dude, I mean, it's so heartbreaking. There's a suggestion to me of her. This is partly about Nomi's character, right? I think there's a mm-hmm. goal to show Nomi's character as always in opposition to everyone around her. She is totally always aggressive, always looking out for herself, always self-interested. And I think that the, again, I don't want to over-meta this movie because I think people meta it so much to avoid some of the hard parts of the movie. But I think the part of the thing that is meta is uh, Molly is, or not Molly, uh, Nomi is, in theory, uh, responding to the world that she's in. Like I think she's actually the proper subject for the world that she's in, which is like entirely motivated by self-interest. And, you know, you only care about anyone in so much as they mean something to you. And, and that's sort of where Molly's at. And I think it really is supposed to be redemptive that she beats up that dude who attacked Molly. That's not a good enough redemption for Nomi. Nomi is still a vapid whatever by the end. And and I think that's okay but I, I think it's it's weird the way that it's that part of the film has been lifted up as almost heroic, and I'm like, is it heroic though? I, I don't know. I don't I don't see it as a redemptive arc for Nomi at all, um, and I don't think it justifies the way that Molly is treated in the film. That being said, I still think it's having watched it now a few times, I've kind of turned around on the entertainment of it all. I'm totally sucked in, and if if that aspect of the film was removed. I might actually be even more like, no, this is great. This is this is awesome. Um, I, I I don't know why, but my tolerance for the overacting of it all, my feeling about the way that it's framed and staged, all that stuff, I've 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 come to appreciate it a lot more um, 
after multiple viewings and really have 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 gotten the vibe but mm-hmm. i just think the uh you know this this is not just a side story either it's a major part of the arc of nomi's character that she jeopardizes her career to get revenge for molly but that's so diminishing of of molly and it's so lifting up violence as the only option for any kind of redemption that i like I don't like it. I don't think it's a good choice uh, in a movie that is filled with bad choices. But in the end, I end up appreciating a lot of those bad choices. The way that that Molly plot line works out still makes me unhappy. And, and you know, we're about to get to the documentary. The documentary just highlighted that for me. Even the parts where people were defending it as like one of the best parts of the movie. It didn't sell me, <laughs> you know, yeah, it, yeah. it still made me go. Nah, I don't think so. Um, but I'm not convinced that that ruins a movie. And I, and, and, I think honestly, it just makes me think more about. While I really appreciate Verhoeven a lot, I do wonder about his attitudes and the way he treats women. You know, but mm, yeah. uh, but but I, but I wouldn't lift up this movie alone as the evidence. I think this with all of his films makes me think about he has this interesting relationship with women, where I do think it's true that he has a lot of strong female characters, but I don't think he treats his actresses very well, and I don't think he treats the women who aren't the strong female you know what i mean like if he has a strong woman then there's definitely going to be not strong women who are awful you know what i mean like mm-hmm. like it, it, even if he has these female heroes the other option is always the worst case scenario for women you know if that makes sense you know yeah yeah no i get it i get it yeah he occupies an interesting seat in that perspective i don't really wow so okay We've got the feeling that there are parts of this movie that you appreciate, but overall, this is, I would put this under not your vibe. No, definitely not. So before before we move into the documentary, I want to talk to you a little bit about how do you feel about the campiness of it all? Because I'm sure you were somewhat aware of that before even seeing the documentary. Yeah, This film has taken on a cult status. How do you feel about that? Is that cult status justified? Are there parts of it you understand? Do you not like it? Like, what do you think about that? I mean, I'm a lifelong John Waters fan, right? Like, so mm-hmm. being being a student of John Waters, right? Like, being a person that's watched and meticulously combed over every single frame that that man has released and shot and everything. Like, I get the whole camp thing about this movie. But also, it's like, I still don't care, unfortunately. Huh, I, I really that's don't. interesting. Yeah, it, I mean, it doesn't really, it doesn't change the experience of seeing the movie for me. And it's not one of those, like, I'm not one of those participants in the, oh, it's so bad, it's wonderful discussions, you know what I mean? Because it's like, yeah, I either like it or I don't, you know what I mean? I'm not here to apologize or to hear say, like, I'm not I'm not trying to justify, like, if I like a movie that I think is also bad, I'll just like that movie, you know what I mean? And sure. as far as this movie goes, I can't plant my flag on the hill saying that, you know, I get it. You know, it's like a big, one big eye wink, like you said. Like, nah, it just doesn't do it for me, man. Like, it's just it's everything from the dialogue to, like, just, again, the non-redemptive characters, the weird redemption for the one good character. Like, yeah, not into it, man. It doesn't it doesn't move me in any way. How do and you like, how do you feel knowing so many people we love think it's like one of the best movies of that decade? Yeah. You know, a lot of people that we know and love like a lot of things that i don't like <laughs> conversely i know for a fact that a lot of the things that i enjoy are not appreciated by people who i revere and love 
So I'm okay with that. I still love you. I still love every all the homies that, that sure. ride out for this movie. Sure. I'm just not part of that caravan, man. I'm sorry. I think it's interesting because this is uh, this is like a space I have um, sort of navigated with you a little bit before. I think this is part of your issue with exploitation films, that some exploitation films are just celebrations of trash, and that doesn't work for you, that that's not appealing yeah. to you. No, that's not my thing, man. Can't I've noticed. I've noticed this also with Justin. Justin is very much, uh, as you know, with us talking on horror business, is very much in the like what he likes, he sincerely likes, and what he doesn't like, he really doesn't like. And um, you know, uh, he might acknowledge a movie isn't well made, but he has fun with it. But that's not the same as enjoying it because it's bad. And for me, I actually am in a weird position. Now, there are plenty of things that I think are celebrated for their badness that I think are stupid. So, for example, any of those like Shark to Puss versus Blah to Blah movies. Yeah. There's such an attempt to be campy and such an attempt to be something that it, it feels to me like they fail at that. And it feels like they are cheap in what they're trying to do uh but you know i love barbarella you know what i mean and 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 what level do i take that movie seriously or i am one of those people who has enjoyed going to a screening of the room and and felt Mm. pretty good about it um and as you know on the other end of the spectrum is our our good friend doug tilly who uh who does that no budget nightmares podcast and some of the films he covers oh yeah are like films that people wouldn't consider films they wouldn't even consider them (laughs) movies and he is moved by them uh i'm sure there are plenty that he thinks are terrible but there are some that he really enjoys and 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 when when we you know we covered science crazed uh, with with uh isaac well that's one of doug's favorite movies he's covered and the appreciation of that movie cannot be it's like hitchcock the appreciation of that movie has to be it's so bad that I enjoy it, right? Like mm-hmm. that the decisions are so, and so like, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse. If you want to know our complicated feelings around bad movies, I think that <laughs> conversation with Isaac was a great place to start, but yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that that I'm in the middle. I, I think sometimes the attempt to be bad on purpose is the worst thing ever. It's, it's a yeah. certain kind of irony that is so fake and so bad bull that i hate it i don't think it's just the intent is so disingenuous that it's hard to resonate right you know and i don't think showgirls is that i don't i think he really thought he was making something great what i think he's changed his mind about is whether the greatness of it is in its humor or in its seriousness intent yeah and i think the original intent was serious i don't believe him and let's be clear he has straight up changed his tone on his own movie I don't believe him that the original intent was camp, silly, goofy, funny. I don't think that's true. I think he thought he was making a drama that had satire in it, that is making fun of a certain part of American society, but that it would stand on its own as a drama. And I honestly don't think it does. I think it only works because of its ridiculousness and not because of uh, uh, any sort of like um, more pathos it has if, if that makes sense you know what i mean mm-hmm. makes perfect sense yeah i get it but i still kind of i still kind of like it and and like i said i like it in a way that overwhelm that that the way that i like showgirls involves all these things about it that might seem unpleasant the garishness of it the 
insane dialogue when they're talking about fucking dog food. That's one of oh the most. God. I think that scene is amazing. I love it. Uh, but the one aspect that is bad to me, uh, it is a negative aspect that isn't wrapped up in my positive enjoyment of it. Is this whole uh, uh, arc around the sexual assault? It just mm-hmm. it doesn't ruin the movie for me, but it is so unnecessary that it makes my enjoyment of the movie less. Which is like I realize it, it is the let's put it this way: it is the thing about it I don't like that helps me realize that I do enjoy the rest of the movie. Which is like a big realization because I I honestly the first couple times I watched it was like not sure if I like the movie or not, you know? <laughs> and I think only now am I like, yeah, I, I actually think it's pretty cool and interesting and, and worth watching. But when people lift it up as their favorite Verhoeven, I just don't understand that at all. That's just not, this is like the, you know, this is like uh, this is like the Bad Brains reggae songs. Some people yeah. hate them. Some people some like people them. But if you're going to tell me the best Bad Brain songs are the reggae songs, I just we're just from two different worlds. You know, I just yeah, can't. I can't. My contention in that case is that you just don't listen to reggae. You just listen to Bad Brains doing reggae. Sure. Which I'm not mad at. That's cool. But also, I don't know. Not well, my truth, baby. Let's, not tra- my truth. let's transition to I, this it's fun. documentary. Well, I will just say, go as far as this movie goes and my perspective of your tastes go, I just kind of felt that this would play further into your appreciation of that exploitation kind of movie. Like, See, it, it, is- it does and it doesn't. I think um, my appreciation of exploitation is that, like, put it this way, a lot of movies I like that fall under exploitation are films that are, like, um, A the sorts of gritty horror movies that I think are better than, than more mainstream horror movies, Mm -hmm. the sorts of gritty action movies that I think are better than what normal people think of as action movies, (laughs) uh, black exploitation, which I just love because they're, um, when they're done well, I love them. And when they're done poorly, there's often something I still appreciate, you know? And some of the parts of exploitation I don't love are, the more um, sex, like I, I don't, I'm not really into like sex exploitation films because they tend to not be that sexy. I, I'm not offended by the sexuality of them, especially because at this point they seem in an age of porn being everywhere on your, you know, you you could watch porn on your phone. The mm. the supposed sexiness of a sex exploitation film feels like quaint, so I find that kind of charming. <laughs> but they're not very sexy, and they're often not fun. Like a lot of sex exploitation films are meant either to be funny or scary. Uh, if they're scary, I don't really like mixing my sex and violence that way. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I just think that that's one of the aspects of horror I don't enjoy. Uh, and if they're meant to be funny, they're often not as funny as they think they are, and that bumps yeah. me out a little bit. Um, other exploitation I like, like uh, they're just you know they're intense, they're a little crazy, they probably have a lot of gore, like a gory action movie, like a movie that has horror levels of gore but is not a horror film. I'm in, man. That sounds great. Um, yeah. I love urban set films, which uh, became a lot of exploitation movies are, you know, are, are mm. somewhere along those lines. Um, I think the only thing that bums me out a little bit is the films that played off of racial stereotypes that weren't black exploitation. Right? That's mm. not to say that there aren't offensive black exploitation movies, but I think a lot of black exploitation movies that I enjoy simply in allowing a space for black folks to finally have a representation that wasn't just for white people often accomplishes something 
the ones that bum me out is uh the ones like like some of the like exploitation movies that are more about white people you know uh some of those are also great when they're very critical of white people you know like when they're like deliverance style movies like mm-hmm. i'm actually okay with that not because of the sexual assault but because of the idea of like we're showing some of the horror of the the rural america uh mm-hmm. or if they're showing the dignity of rural america it, it just is about like who's who's at, uh who is paying the price for that if you're making fun of like rich people from the city i'm okay with that but uh if the idea is like you have anxieties about brown people that's not going to play well with me Mm. um the only thing around that time that i kind of like and it is very problematic is the movies that very much thought they were accomplishing something for people of color but were actually so white that they're just stupid so like like that uh like there's a number of movies about like native people getting revenge on white folks and uh and all the native people are played by white people. <laughs> yeah. Or a movie like Black Demons, like that's a tough one. Sure, sure, sure. So some of those yeah. I, I I might appreciate them for their historical value or what they're doing, but I don't actually enjoy the movie cuz I'm like this is such a mistake. Like everything yeah. about this is a misfire. But you know, uh I I think a lot of like see Thomas Hell's Soul Man. Yeah. Yeah. I oh, get terrible. Yeah. Oh god. Ugh. That's not an exploitation yes. film, but it is a mistake. So there yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, a lot of cult. I mean, I also think when we we say exploitation film, um, that's different than like the phenomenon of the midnight movie. Like, I, I wouldn't call mm-hmm. Jodorowsky an exploitation director, but yeah. I think his films were part of a world that included exploitation. Like a lot of theaters that were showing El Topo were probably also showing martial arts films and spaghetti mm-hmm. westerns, and yeah. you know. So I think there's just an appeal of low budget to me movies of these indie movies from a certain time period um and the fact that they might have offensive stuff only bums me out in what kind of offensive stuff we're talking about and if it ruins the whole movie or not you know and 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 to me that's an individual choice that's part of my for the most part i'm pretty okay with what we all talk about as like wokeness or political correctness whatever a lot of it doesn't bum me out the part that kind of bums me out is when it becomes less about individual decisions like at a certain level you can't just make a rule for all art you know what i mean like you have to take each piece of art on its own now you might say i tend to not like things that have this like if someone says i don't like sexual assault in a film it bums me out in my head i'm thinking well there's probably exceptions to that rule but i'm not going to judge them for not testing out that theory because if you don't like it you don't like it and why yep. should i force someone to watch something they don't like because in my mind they might miss something that's good who cares it, it, it's like when someone says well i don't really get into hardcore because i don't like screaming in my in my music all right well there you go i there's, yeah. pr- there's probably exceptions i bet i could find a song where someone is technically yelling that they would like but it's not worth having the argument what about what do i win I, that's yeah. how i feel about a lot of art is that like there are things I tend not to like. I, I, when it comes to black exploitation films, a lot of them were directed by white people. My favorite ones weren't, uh, but some of the ones I like that a lot were. And so I'm not going to make a rule. I only like black exploitation when it's done by black people. Well, that's just not true. On the other hand, I have a measure where I go. Well, let's see. This was directed by a white guy. It also was written by a white guy. In fact, there's no one in the production team that isn't white. Mm, I'm a little skeptical, and the story mm. sounds like uh, a real like uh, stereotype, stupid, you know. And I'm sure mm. there's exceptions where the movie's still good, but there's some where I'm like, 
you know what? I don't want to watch that. I bet you that's just a cheap. That's probably a cheap cash in and not something that's actually good, you know. Mm. But I'm certainly if someone says to me, "Well, I don't like the idea of black exploitation, so I don't watch any of those movies." So you're telling me you never watched Sweet Sweetback's badass song? You yeah. tell me you never watched The Spook Who Sat by the Door? You yeah, know, you like never watched Tales from the Hood. Like, come on, man. Like it's it, it, you're miss. That's on you, man. You're missing out if if you've made such a hard and fast rule. But if you're saying I want to be I want to choose, you know, like I would go so far as to say I like coffee a lot more than I like Foxy Brown. Even though I love Pam Greer, Foxy Brown mm. has parts in it that I don't like. That, that doesn't make me dislike the whole movie, but I think mm. it's just an act of discernment. You have to decide for yourself. And for me, Showgirls is mostly good, but I think it would be better without the sexual assault. That's how I feel about Showgirls. Okay. <laughs> well, let's talk let's about this documentary. On. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about the documentary? So... Regardless of what anyone thinks about Showgirls, right? Whether you think it's great, you think it's terrible. I love documentaries like this. And I didn't even know. I chose a documentary just because it's new and because people were talking about Showgirls. And I'm like, well, I'll be straight up with y'all. I was hoping that people would want to listen to the episode because they're talking about Showgirls because this documentary (laughs) came out. Uh, I didn't know how much I was going to like it. This sort of deep analysis of film where I don't have to see. I don't. One of the things I don't like about documentaries is talking heads. So the fact that we never see any of these people, that instead what they're talking about is being illustrated with clips from not just showgirls, but from a variety of other movies. movies. Yeah. I love it. I think it was ingenious. I found a lot of it very insightful. And I love that the filmmakers managed to have a voice like they were clearly telling you a story without having a clear perspective on showgirls yeah i don't feel like they actually present their positioning on the movie right right that they're i think is pretty masterful honestly as far as the documentary filmmaking goes yeah what did you think about the documentary like how did it play for you having just watched showgirls um it definitely felt like the the cliff's notes uh analysis of this movie because, you know, you watch a movie and you're beholden to your perspective and like, you know, a documentary of this nature, it's not like the Room 237 one where it's just like a bunch of like, it's basically like internet. You know what I mean? Like this movie had like more of like, uh, you're right, a more of an insightful take on a lot of like the opinions around Showgirls, the movie. As far as the documentary goes that does just the deep dive into analysis, I really enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was uh, interesting, and it had me it had me uh, yoked in the entire time a little bit more than the actual movie, I think, maybe. I was more like, oh, well, that's... And, like, it told a story about the one survivor's story and her relationship to Showgirls, and I thought that was really cool. I thought that was, like, a really interesting way to show the impact of a movie without actually giving your opinion on whether or not what category of this movie you think it is as a filmmaker. You know what I mean? Like I thought that was really an interesting take and I thought that was very engaging. I think the thing it has in its DNA that's similar to room 237 is that room 237 is about the reception of the movie, right? Mm, Yeah. Um, And, I don't know that everyone get, gets that. Some people think the director of Room 237 believes these conspiracy theories, which like they clearly do not. Mm. Um, but what it has that's different than Room 237 is a real perspective on how criticism works and so how they can have a movie that really has three very different perspectives on this film, but they kind of work in harmony and they kind of show mm. how nuanced the movie is, which is 
a real surprise. It, I felt like the documentary gave me an appreciation for showgirls while also encouraging me to take more seriously my criticism of showgirls because it's mm-hmm. like on one hand, there is stuff going on and there is these interesting tidbits to it and there clearly were some decisions being made about uh, how it was filmed and all, all the stuff. There was a lot mm-hmm. there. But the film is also unafraid to point out, you know, Verhoeven's basic dishonesty with Sharon Stone on Basic Instinct, the way that he instrumentalizes sexual assault in a lot of his films as like a way to tell stories, Um, just different things that like encourage you to think like, yo, like this dude is not necessarily the best dude. That doesn't mean that his art is bad per se, but who he is is a part of the reception of this movie, including mm. that ridiculous book he wrote about it that made it sound like he had made like the, the next work of art. You know what I mean? That yeah. part of the reception of the movie is like, oh, look what he said about the movie at the time, regardless of what he's saying now. Mm. What was he saying then? You know, And knowing that partly some of that was uh, uh, shaped by cocaine, I'm sure. Mm. You know, um, Shaped by cocaine and hubris. Yeah. yeah. I get it. Yeah. But, but I, I mean, I do think they, uh, having done a little internet research, I think they played a little softball with the Kyle McLaughlin of it all. Kyle mm. McLaughlin has gone out of his way to point out, A, that he thinks this movie is bad, and B, that no one on set thought they were making a satire, that everyone thought they were making the next big sex drama, and it's mm. not that at all. On the other hand, one of the commentators pointed out, and I think this is a fair to point out, critics generally agree whenever Paul Verhoeven makes a violent film that that film might have an element of satire to it. And yet whenever he makes a sexy film, everyone just takes it seriously that he's some sort of fucking pervert. And this person was like, it's really weird because these movies are all very similar. So if you want to watch Robocop or Starship Troopers or Total Recall and say, my sense a little bit of satire going on here where not everything is serious <laughs> then you have to use the same lens for basic instinct which like side note i've never done i've watched basic instinct i took the whole thing seriously and thought it was terrible and that was before <laughs> i even really understood who paul verhoeven was only now as an adult am i like i should rewatch basic instinct i think i was just not ready for it at 18 which is when i watched it and i really <laughs> only watched it because i thought sharon stone was attractive that was my whole appeal to the movie at 18 and now as an adult i'm like well, i should maybe give that another go <laughs> see if i was wrong you know um, maybe we should do a whole verhoven episode where you do a deep dive into the catalog we and could see the DNA. We could totally do that. Yeah, maybe we'll. Well, well what we could do is do a. Se- the only problem with doing a series is it gets boring if you do it over and over again. But we could do it as a series where we do one and then do something else and come back to it. And I think that uh, cool. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, I'd so, be that. So uh, that's we'll announce it right now to you guys. We're gonna do a Verhoeven thing. Um, <laughs> and I and I think that'll be cool. And and we'll just have to decide on what order we go in. Like we could go chronological, or we could mix and match different movies, or whatever. Whatever. The point is is that just talk about this documentary i loved that aspect to it that they took these perspectives seriously it'd be easy to say well the people who think the movie is redemptive we'll take them more seriously or the people who think it's sexist garbage we'll take them more seriously or the people who think it's just campy weird and who cares what verhoven intended all that matters is our reception we'll take them more seriously but somehow all these voices were mixed together to make what I thought was a really entertaining documentary. And, and yeah. even if I hated Showgirls, I think I would have enjoyed watching this. Um, and, and, and I for sure enjoyed the documentary a lot more than I enjoyed the movie. That's so interesting. I, I think that's yeah. great. 
That's the truth. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. I fa- I found the documentary more compelling, and uh, a much more interesting story than the actual story of Nomi Malone in Las Vegas. It's definitely, <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a lot more interesting, a lot more meat to uh, consider. Well, and I would just encourage folks. I you know this might not be everyone's cup of tea, but I love this. I want this. I want, you know, more movies like this, more movies like Room 237, more movies like that De Palma documentary. I loved Mm. that. Yeah, that was a great documentary, too. More movies like L.A. Plays Itself. More movies even like uh, there was that movie that was like uh, about 80s horror films just in general and sort of the themes in various horror films. But there was Mm. no talking heads. It was all like clips and voices over top i love stuff like that i love it i love it i love it i don't need an in i don't get me wrong i like a behind the scenes in-depth interview too that's great but this sort of style that is taking criticism seriously that some of these people talking about showgirls are you know working film critics and some of them are academics and some of them are like drag queens who just have a strong opinion (laughs) mixing all these voices together is magic to me because it's taking seriously people's thinking about it, not just because they are a professional critic, whatever the fuck that means, not just because they are an academic. So yeah, they did work. I take seriously the work to get a PhD, but that doesn't, it's not enough for me to say they are alone more important, but combining them all, I think is really interesting. So yeah, I would agree. I thought it was great. So uh, I think, I think we can uh, wrap up saying, Watch Showgirls if you haven't seen it, if you really think you want to watch it, but don't feel obligated. However, I still think you should watch it if you're going to watch this documentary. Yeah. Um, but if you hate it, don't worry. The documentary is still good. You should still watch the documentary. Yeah. If even you if know you, hate, you it. hate it and you have like a, a nascent memory of what the movie was or is or whatever, that should be enough for you to watch the documentary and be like, oh, yeah. But I will say after – so listeners, as you know, sometimes me and Liam have a hard time scheduling, so like we – this episode was actually supposed to be recorded a few days ago and it didn't happen because of scheduling conflicts and Liam's moving. So uh, I did attempt to go back to Showgirls the movie after having seen the documentary sure. just to be like, well, I just got to see it again, I think now. And um, I think that if you did have a visceral reaction like I did of not enjoying Showgirls and then you watch the documentary, you'll be compelled to watch it again and go with it, you know? Because fuck it. Why not? I think I think it's also worth sometimes when people i'll say this my frustration with how molly is treated as a character is about the narrative choice right Mm -hmm. i think some people's response to movies is almost like the movie is actually happening and they're just mad about what's happening and and i think this documentary really helps me think about like okay but how does all this stuff kind of function and not focus on like well i just don't like nomi Okay, well, why don't you like Nomi? Like, why does why is that important that you don't like Nomi? And I think the movie really shows that as like part of maybe the the commentary of the movie itself. Like, yeah, maybe you're not supposed to like her. Maybe she is actually a bad yeah. person. Maybe she's actually the terrible person presented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I I just think taking seriously what he said about the movie and the way the movie functions. I just think the idea that her beating up this one dude is like her one sort of moral choice is just like poorly thought out. That's that's all. That's all I'm saying. All right. <laughs> that's all you're saying. I'm glad you went with me on this journey, Josh. I know it was weird for you that I wanted to talk about Showgirls, uh, but I think I get it, it though. Once I saw the doc, though, I was like, oh, I get it. Okay, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, and I, I think very much like uh, 
if if someone is out there who listens to us and thinks like, well, I don't I don't even know what I make of uh, criticism as a broader idea. I just think this documentary is a good example of the variety of perspectives. And, and I don't think you watch a documentary and go, well, this guy or this woman is the right one. All the other people are wrong, but this person's right. That's not how it functions. Everyone has their perspective and some vibe with you more than others, but it's not about proving someone else wrong. At least for me, it's no, not it's about just proving finding someone else the wrong. frequency that you resonate with. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. all. Yeah, and um, this this documentary allows for that, and that's pretty interesting concept. Speaking really about good. speaking about frequencies, I resonate with. I resonate with your frequency, Josh. I love you so much. I love you so much too, Liam. Duh, I wouldn't be doing this without you, buddy. <laughs> I'm glad we made time to talk today in the midst of moving. I, I I could have easily been like, no, we'll do it later. Well, this was really nice to do, and I hope you yeah. guys listening appreciate it as well. And and uh, hopefully. We didn't diss your favorite movie, Showgirls, too hard. But uh, <laughs> hopefully the fact that we didn't completely hate Showgirls didn't make you lose all respect for us either. Uh, I also want to put it on record that we didn't watch the sequel, Showgirls 2. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's I can 100% guarantee that that's not going to happen to me right now. At no, all. no, Just yeah. Saying. Not into that. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, but I am excited for this Verhoeven series. I think we'll, we'll probably do a couple other episodes first but we're going to schedule that out and we'll let you guys know what the schedule is as far as yeah. like what movies we're going to cover and when um, so you can watch them beforehand so you can be in on the conversation hey in order for that conversation to grow and grow and grow we need a few things from you one is tell your friends about the show we need we need more word of mouth to get get this going and get more people listening and and kind of grow our audience a little bit more uh yeah. we'd also and love, also uh, rate review and subscribe on the yep. itunes or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts because that is a currency that matters to podcasters yeah so, for some reason so. that algorithm works that way and people will see our podcast in their feeds more if you are commenting on it and uh reviewing it um, we also ask you to check out some of the other shows on the network. We got a lot of cool shows. We got new ones coming, um, mm-hmm. and we think that you know the Cinepunks family of entertainment is right up your alley. You should give it a chance. Also, check out the website where there's a lot of uh, good writing going on. And we just put the store back up. We have a pre-order up for a Cinepunk shirt that uh, was designed by a friend of the show, Evan Valella. It's pretty cool. It's an image from the movie Shockwaves. Hopefully, you'll be into it. Yep, there you go. So that just about does it. Yeah. Wraps it up and yeah. ties it up nicely with a bow. Yeah. Find us on social media. Feel free to email us. We're cinepunks at Gmail. Yell at us. Uh, if you if you have a question, we'll, we'll cover it on the air. If you want to tell us how stupid we are, we'll probably cover that on the air too. <laughs> yep. But regardless of how stupid you think we are, we still love you. We do. So there you go. Episode 116. Done and done. Smoke bomb. Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Horror Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Donald. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.